and welcome back to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hello, Jonathan. It's been a while. Hi, Julia. Yeah, well, welcome back to both of us. <laughs> and, and to all of you, dear listeners, sorry we've left you hanging for a bit. It, uh, you know, got pandemic busy. Well, a couple of... Um, a couple of the the times we had we had kind of planned to record and had to cancel it was for yeah various covid related testing or or getting vaccines which is which is good so mm-hmm. you know anyway we all do the best we can <laughs> should we let's do a quick little halloween follow up i know it feels like it's way too late but we we promised we would um uh-huh. and i want to i want to hear about about how your you know event went yeah, it was good. It was good. It was a little quieter than uh, than in past years, um, but we got we still had over a hundred trick or treaters, which is pretty good. No, uh, no hundred and eighty seven like the last Halloween of the before times. Um, but I'm going to uh, interrupt you right there. How do you yeah. count your trick or treaters? Do you have like a little? Oh, <laughs> I have a little orange clicker. Okay. Yep, and it usually happens. I'll typically have like a friend over. Um, or a few, you know, who are, like, helping to, to pass out candy. And if I need to, like, go up and deal with putting a kid to bed or something, someone else will, you know, will, will be in charge. Mm-hmm. And there are very strict rules that clicks. It's only for kids who actually come up to the porch and get candy. So parents don't count. If there are, like, older siblings who are lingering behind, they don't count. Babies in strollers who can't eat candy, they don't count either. It's just actual, like, kid trick-or-treaters. Do you ever get older kids or parents who ask for candy for the babies in strollers who do not come up? <laughs> you know, I've, I've, thought, I've thought in the past about, like, having little mini bottles or something that I could hand out to the uh-huh. parents. <laughs> um, but no, no, we haven't done that. We get I, – I, I this year we had a lot of requests for candy for the babies, and, and I, I didn't fight them on it, but I thought – Maybe it's for the older kids and not actually for the babies. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Who knows? Whatever. Um, I don't know how many. One time, one of my one of my oh, favorite yeah. ones that happened is I had a little kid who was like climbing up the the front steps of the porch and like tripped on our steps. You know, he was like wearing a big dinosaur costume and um, tripped on the steps and. Uh, and then, like, when he got up to the candy bowl, he's like, I think I need a lot of candy because I tripped. Oh. And I was like, oh, I wonder how many times he's pulled this. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> a little, little scam artist. Mm-hmm. We had, um, oh, for, for uninteresting reasons, we weren't there um, at our house right when, when people were kind of starting to come around because we were taking our kids to do something. And so we had a big candy bowl, and I put it on the porch you know, hidden behind a chair because I knew I'd have to run back and get it very quickly and then start handing uh-huh. out candy, right? Um, can you guess what happened? What, what happened? Well, the, the trick-or-treaters discovered the candy bowl on the porch because, you know, some people who don't answer their door will leave out a bowl in a very obvious location on the front, like on the front porch or whatever. So even mm-hmm. though mine was hidden, um, there was some ambiguity, I think, and they were just like, well, there's a candy here. I guess we'll take it. So by the time I got back at like, 6.30, you know, 90% of our candy was gone because because the kids had discovered the hidden candy bowl, which I, mm-hmm. I don't really hold against them. It was kind of my fault, but it was uh, it did not go according to plan. So we, we ran out of candy like by very early on, and then we had to uh-huh. get reinforcements and, and all that. So it was um, it felt good to have a popular, you know, whatever, have, have a lot of people out. Sure. You know, and some houses just leave the candy bowl out. So, you know. I know our neighbors did that, but then it, uh, that usually doesn't last very long yeah right 
<laughs> I we, mean, when yeah. we went to bed, I mean, or like went up to watch a movie or whatever, and I was like, you know, when, when it seemed like, like the trick-or-treaters were all done, I just like left the bowl of candy out and like turned off the porch light, but like left it, you know, out on the mm-hmm. stairs. And when I got up in the morning, there was still a whole bunch of candy in there. Wow. So I was like, well, good, for, good for you, Very neighborhood impressive. children. Yeah. Who did not TP my house or take all of the candy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you'll be happy to know that um, after a bit of, of testing um, and YouTube videos, the smoke machine, I thought, I thought worked out really well. So we had it hooked up to the back of a, a jack-o'-lantern. Um, uh, so I just cut a little hole in the back of the jack-o'-lantern and then connected the smoke machine hose, got a hose from Home Depot that wasn't supposed to be for a smoke machine and put the hose in the back of the jack-o'-lantern and kind of put it all together. And then I could have the jack-o'-lantern breathe smoke whenever I pushed a button. Oh, nice. So I, I was happy with that. I felt like I, honor was served as the new as the new people in the neighborhood, like, you know. Anyway, we did okay. That's awesome. Good for you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I have a long list of things to tell you about, Julia, because I haven't talked to you in a while. Awesome. Shall I go? Okay, what great. You got? I'm going to go through them. So the first one uh, is that I have a new podcast. It's called The Brain Made Plain. And I think uh-huh. I mentioned to you, but I don't know if I've mentioned to our audience um, the motivation behind this. And uh, and that's really come out of teaching cognitive neuroscience so I've moved away from textbooks a couple of years ago um, for various reasons, and now we just read original research articles. But I find I had a couple of a couple of downsides. So so the positive parts of this have been I think it's really good for students to get practice reading research articles, and a lot of them haven't done a lot of it, so it's kind of hard at the beginning of the semester, and then we do six to ten articles, and by the end, um, they're much more comfortable. And you know, they'll come back and tell me, oh, I'm really glad we did that because the next year I did this advanced class and it was great to have some some background. So that's good. Um, and I also like having them interact with the actual research literature and see some of the details or nuances or, you know, just complications of real research that sometimes don't come across in a textbook. The downsides are um, that sometimes the articles are like pretty confusing and a little bit dry and it's hard to get through. Um, if you've never read a research article before and all of a sudden you're dropped in the method section of something you've never studied, mm-hmm. um, it's actually yep. pretty overwhelming. I mean, that's true for me if I'm in a, if I'm in a new field, um, although I have more practice. So that can be challenging. And so I was, you know, back when we had our first COVID semester, I did a, um, I did a podcast for my lectures. Uh, I, I had this vision that people were all stuck at home and they could like listen to my lecture while they went for a walk outside and, and enjoy the fresh air in real life. Um, I asked around and no one did that. They just sat in front of their computer and listened to the podcast on the computer. So I kind of failed mm-hmm. in that sense and I get it. But then it kind of got me thinking, Oh, what about having like a guest lecture? And then I got, Oh, what about a guest podcast person? And then I said, I should have a, a podcast about this. So it's a, interview podcast where every episode I interview a different neuroscientist about their work. Uh, and I have, I don't advertise this, but I'll tell you all because, because we're friends. Um, I, you know, I, I started with topics that I cover in my class. So the idea is that they can like read an article, uh, and then listen to a podcast episode of one of the authors of the article, talk about the research topic and maybe even the article a little bit. So it's kind of a little bit of a, you know, explain the science, but also, from a broader perspective and then also like get to know a scientist and hear a little bit about their career path and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm super excited about this. Actually, I hope it will be, I hope it will be useful for, you know, 
people in my class and then maybe some other classes too, if people are teaching. That sounds awesome. That sounds really great. And it's nice, yeah, that it seems like the kind of thing that, I mean, even if it's nice to record lectures that aren't, um, you know, that aren't like super tied to a particular class, right? Mm-hmm. To avoid saying things like, remember on Tuesday, we'll do right. problems. So you can use them in the future. Um, but this seems like even, even more than that, that it'd be useful outside of your class as well. Yeah, I hope so. And, and I, you know, the plan is, so I just, um, you know, I'm kind of currently putting up quote unquote season one, I'm kind of doing them in batches. Um, mm-hmm. uh, don't tell anyone I recorded these like a year ago and it's just taken like a year to get them out. So I feel bad about that, but, but what can you do? Um, but yeah, I, I imagine after a couple of seasons, there will be more than I use anyway, and people can kind of pick and choose whatever topics they want or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, all the, mm-hmm. all the various other non-science stuff that gets talked about might be useful too. Yeah. So that's at thebrainmadeplane.net. Um, if you want to have a listen, that would be great. Or tell a friend who's awesome. teaching cognitive neuroscience. Nice. Yeah, that's that sounds awesome. I'll check it out. I also, totally changing topics, I've had, I had a little bit of a, oh, epiphany is too strong. I had a rethinking, um, again, about, about time and attention and sort of, how I how I live my life um, in a very small area, and that and that has to do with both Twitter and email. And this was um, Twitter was was inspired by Merlin Mann. Um, I'll put a link to Back to Work, which is a podcast uh, Merlin does with Dan Benjamin, which I've mentioned before and have listened to for years. And uh, my sense of Merlin, he's he's always trying to make things better, and like just he thinks a lot about the way he does stuff. And so one of those things is Twitter. So there was a whole um, set of episodes where they talked about like how people use Twitter and the different options and different apps you can use for Twitter. And so I had kind of fallen into this um, um, cycle of just using the Twitter web app because other apps are um, don't have all the information. And um, sometimes it would be problematic to like, figure out threads and whatever. So I would just use the the Twitter web app, which is fine. And this is like not a moral judgment on anyone who wants to keep doing that. Um, but there's a bunch of annoying things about it too. And so um, Merlin's uh, kind of suggestion was like, well, if this thing is annoying to you, you should like try to fix it. So mm-hmm. there is a, um, there's a, a web browser plugin called Tweaks for Twitter. And that lets you do things like take off, um, you know, some of the advertisements or like, you know, like in the sidebar, it's like trending now near you, um, which I personally, I don't, I don't ever have to see. So, so this will let you mm-hmm. turn stuff like that off um, uh, and just kind of make it a little bit more of a perhaps experience that, that, that you want. And then the other thing that that also um, I was inspired to do is like how many people am I following now? I'm following thirty nine hundred people, and that's not because I really, really, really care about what all those thirty nine hundred people say. Um, you, dear listeners, of course, I care about what you have to say, but the other, you know, the other X number of people. Um, but you know, you, you people, you meet people and they follow you and you follow them back. And there's people I followed 15 years ago for, I don't know why or whatever. And that means that my, you know, timeline, you know, is, is uh, as it is for lots of us. So just like lots of stuff, lots and lots of scrolling. And the, the percentage of stuff that I, I was noticing the percentage of stuff I actually cared about was pretty, was pretty small. Um, mm-hmm. But luckily, yeah. this is like a solved problem. So, so lists in Twitter, you can make a list of particular people, and then you can look at tweets from those people. Um, so, I've been starting. I started using Twitterific, which is a Mac 
web client, which um, uh, anyway has has other features too, but that was helpful. And then also lists were also useful. And so I just have a list of like, you know, I don't know, the couple hundred people that I kind of know and actually interact with the most. And I look at that most often. And then if I ever want to look at the the whole like fire hose feed of everything else, like I, I certainly can. But what it's meant is that um, I feel like my Twitter time has been more productive uh, and also mm-hmm. like a little, just a little more intentional. You know, it's like a small mm-hmm. thing, but actually I, I get on there every day. So it kind of adds up. Um, the other thing, pro and con. Um, Wait, can, yeah. can I ask mm-hmm. you one question? Yeah. Well, the thing about Twitter lists, it, can, couldn't you just not follow the people who are saying things that you're interested in reading? I could. So I'm <laughs> right. Um, that's a great this idea. Is like like for, you're following them for political reasons, but you don't actually. Well, yeah, I mean, yes and no. Right. So like, OK, so one option is I go through 3,900 people and make a yes, no decision about all of them. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that, that seems overwhelming to me. So so it lets me it's easier for me just to put them on a list of, of things that I want to see, like like a safe list of people to follow. But the other thing is, like, there are. Um, I'm going to give an example that may or may not be true, but I think everyone will understand. So, like, if we have a department Twitter feed, hypothetically, um, maybe I don't always want to see that. This is not like people I want to ban. It's just like I don't always need to see that particular thing. But I, I don't want to necessarily unfollow them. And I'm trying to support people in the department who are who are tweeting. Right. So, like, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? So you're right. It is kind of a little bit of a weasel out of just unfollowing people, but um, I found it to be easier for lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. And actually, sometimes people do, I have had people give me a hard time, usually jokingly, but maybe not 100% about not following them on Twitter. Um, And usually that is not for any specific reason. It's just like there's too many people in the world and and I don't always follow all the interesting people. Um, But anyway, but people, people notice. And so I try to be, you know, inclusive yeah yeah no i think that yeah. i think that makes sense i've um used lists for like um uh like people will make them for conferences be like these are all the people who are at whatever conference tweeting about the conference and i've done it for that temporarily but i haven't ever done it for like you know normal normal use mm-hmm. well the cool thing so you can have a private list or a public list and um so my list of like the people that i look at the most often is, is private. So it's just for me, but you can just set up, I don't know how to do it in the web app, but in Twitterific, certainly you can just open up a window that is that list. And so I can just like, so uh-huh. basically like, um, the, I basically see every tweet on that list because it's not that many. And then like in my regular feed, I can just like scroll to the top and, and just see whatever is, is most recent. So anyway, it's been working. It's been working for me. And I felt like yeah. I've been able to reclaim like, you know, one percent of my sanity that way one percent is a pretty big percent i know well hey i'll take anything the other thing is i um email wise i i always struggle with email um and part i don't even get that much compared to some people but it seems to have a disproportionate like hold on my attention you know and mm-hmm. just like uh even if you know if i'm at home relaxing or doing something else you know i just kind of have my i'll pull up it's like the whole phone like you happen to have your phone open and you happen to pull your email up and you happen to check it and i delete some spam and it doesn't seem like a big deal but like that happens so many times during the day in the end it becomes like a fairly big distraction and it's like mm-hmm. how many times have i checked my email at home and it's been like an emergency 
uh, either either like a good thing or a bad thing, and I I can't think of any. But I always have this little niggle in the back of my mind, like, oh, what if today's the day that like I won the lottery and someone emailed me about it at work, you know? Like, anyway, so um, so I've done this before. I took I took my I took work email off my phone. And yes, I can still get to it on the web app, but like two-factor authentication, like put, putting up barriers to checking it at home, right? So sure. I turned it off off that, and I've tried to be much more schedulely about email at work, um, like checking it maybe once a day and not first thing, um, and then yeah. closing my email client when I'm when I'm done. And like it is anyway. It all seems kind of stupid to say it, but but the a result has actually been very helpful. Um, I think I spend less time doing it. And the other thing I'm trying really hard to do, which goes just against my the core of my being, is just to not look at everything. And just like on Twitter, like there's like too many tweets, and I just scroll through and do a few things and don't have to, to read all of them. I'm trying to get email to be the same way. Um, in other words, there are lots of unread emails in my inbox for the first time in years and years and years, and I don't like it, but I also kind of like it. <laughs> I don't know. Are you, are you an every email has to be did read person? Me, did you hear me gasp? Yeah, um, I did. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a, I, I maintain inbox zero basically all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as soon as they come in, I either make them, make them to do items. if. Uh, there's something I have to do. If it's the kind of thing that can be answered in, you know, less than a minute, I just deal with it immediately. And otherwise I archive it and, and make it go away. So my big thing, um, I was going to say, go, yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Oh, I, I really don't like using the inbox for a to-do list, which we've talked about yeah. before. And I, mm-hmm. and, and right now I'm a little bit in, in danger of that. So I, I really am a big fan of that. And yeah, I used to be more inbox zero-y, but that has, it hasn't really, it hasn't been effective for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I uh, think I talked about it on here. I can't remember. Um, use a service called uh, GQ's, G-Q-U-E-U-E-S, mm-hmm. which is like a task manager that integrates really nicely with the Google suite. And it makes it very easy to be like, here's an email, click a button. Now it's part of my to-do list. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it, yeah, so that, so that I don't use my, my inbox as a to-do list because mm-hmm. that stresses me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So inbox zero was... Um, Probably coined, but at least um, made famous by Merlin Mann of of the mm-hmm. that I was just talking about. So I'll put a link to um, to a couple of things that he wrote. Um, and then I I don't know he's he's kind of he kind of moved away from that over the years. But I I saw an article in the Atlantic. Julia, cover your ears. Um, it's called the case for inbox infinity. Um, and that so the, I, so these are these are many things that happened. So that came. Uh, someone shared that with me. And then I also read a book called 4,000 Weeks. Have you heard about this? No. It's a, um, I hate to say a productivity book. It's sort of like an anti-productivity book. But anyway, I, I think um, the, the kind of the main gist of it is that, like, there's a lot of ways to get really better at at managing lots of little things that may not matter in the long run. And it's harder mm-hmm. but better to like focus on things that you actually care about. So like, um, actually th- it ties in well, do you remember our, our, what was our episode on having too much stuff in the closet? Like if you have too oh, many yeah. things mm-hmm. to do, just doing them all more efficiently doesn't actually help you. It's like rearranging mm-hmm. your closet over and over and over to fit more stuff in when actually you should just go throw most of it out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so, so it's kind of along that line. And, and, and um, so he kind of picks this up too, that like, 
um, it's really tempting for me anyway, is like, okay, before I do any work, I'm going to go through my list of all of these emails I owe people and like clear the decks. And then when everything is put away, it's like cleaning the counter in the kitchen. Now I can start to work. Um, but then what I find is like, I'll spend my entire day doing all that stuff. And then I don't have any time to do Mm. the thing that I say is most important. Like, like I should be working on this new podcast, but then I spend five hours writing back to emails that Mm-hmm. I feel rude not replying, but actually don't seem that important or whatever. And then like, I have no time for the thing that I say is important. And so mm-hmm. um, email is certainly not the only way that that manifests itself. But for me, that's been, that's been kind of helpful. And, um, you know, just to try to deprioritize being quite so on top of things, <laughs> which again, is hard, <laughs> it's hard for me. It's not my, it's, that's not my nature. Being um, selective about the things you're on top yeah. of. Now, I do have yeah. a filter that pulls in emails from, like, my department chair and, like, my grants administrator and, like, a small list of people that I really don't want to miss. Um, mm-hmm. But then everything else just goes in a big bucket called, like, you know, the rest of my email. And um, I do I try to look at everything, but I definitely have not been replying to everything. So you can ask mm-hmm. me ne- next time we we talk. Like if, right now, like partly that's been helpful and partly it's been causing stress. So I'm curious to see how the equilibrium happens in a month. If it'll be like more stressful or like or less. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know and if 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 you realize you've missed out on anything that you know was it was important and actually had some consequences. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for. Uh, taking things out of the closet and prioritizing the things that are important to you. Um, and I guess, I don't know, the system that I use, I've kind of found a way to, to I think, make make both of those work. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one of the ones that is really helpful for me is not, like, having my email open all the time mm-hmm. um, because there's definitely, like, uh, for me at least, like, a task-switching cost of, like, I'm writing a paper. Ooh, mm-hmm. I got an email. Let me go see what it is. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Do, 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 back to the paper. But like the, that that time, just, you know, the, the cost of switching from one task to another, like just takes some cognitive energy and takes some time. Mm-hmm. And so I find if I limit how often I do that, like keep it closed and then just open it up every once in a while. Uh, I also deal with everything that has come in since I checked last a lot more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there's just one email, you're like, oh, kind of sit and ponder it for a minute. But if there's a bunch, you're just like, don't need to reply, reply really quick to, you know, like kind of go, go through them more quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that's been effective at kind of making it, um, yeah, making it w- uh, more efficient for me. Yeah. 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 I like that. The other, the last email plug I'll put in is, um, uh, it, it's a new, this is not for work email. I've been using this for like personal email instead of Gmail. I still have Gmail. So now it's made it harder because I have two. Um, it, it's, Hey, Pay.com. My husband uses um, that. Uh-huh. It is not free, so you have to pay for it, um, which is which is a downside. Um, one thing I really like about it is when a new when you get an email from someone who has not emailed you before, um, it just says, "Hey, do you want to get emails from this email address? Yes or no?" Um, and so far, it's been remarkably effective at keeping out spam. And probably yeah. it's like a new email address. I don't have like 20 years of accumulated like companies <laughs> that are trying to send me stuff or whatever. Best um, buy advertising. <laughs> but like a lot of times, you know, here's, you know, you don't, many times these days, 
uh, I get emails from stuff I never asked to get emailed about, but they happen to have my email address for some odd reason, right? And they're like, oh, we have a relationship. It's okay to email you this advertisement. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, you can unsubscribe, but like sometimes like I don't have time or it's just too many or whatever. So I've actually found my personal email now is actually like pretty much everything in the inbox is actually relevant um, and important. And I get like very few emails. Like I don't get that many personal emails anyway, to be honest. But in Gmail, it's like I have 50 junk emails, like not actual spam, but things I don't care about. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, to one that I actually might want to look at for real. And then in, hey, so far, it's been like pretty much everything that makes it through is something I actually want to see. So that's also been been good. I'm a little bit, you know, anyway, I don't like changing. I don't like changing stuff and I would rather have it be free. But I also I also understand business models. And like if you make software, you have to get paid. And um, and Gmail, uh, Google is making plenty of money off of us. It's just we don't we don't pay them directly. It's off of our our time and attention and advertising. So I kind of would almost rather have pay someone directly for it. So (laughs) I just know what you're getting into. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, I also, whenever I get an email that's from somebody that I don't care about, like, you know, I bought something at a new store and they got my email and started sending me stuff, I always just unsubscribe right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I, I get very few emails that I'm not interested in, I mm-hmm. think because I just really stay on top of being like, nope, opt out. Yes. Uh, and that and that helps too, right, to see the, the mm-hmm. signal through the noise. Yeah, and I think um, years ago... Let's see, how old is, is our daughter? Five. More than five years ago. Um, I think I was probably more like you, Julia. And like I was like, if I stay on top of everything, it's all very manageable. And then, you know, for whatever reason, I, I stopped being able to stay on top of stuff. And then it very quickly became overwhelming. So I feel like wow. this is like, this is, yeah, partly inspired by like, oh, I read a book and it had some good ideas. And in principle, this seems good. And also partly just a reaction to like, well, whatever it, you know, whatever my ideal is in real life, it's not working, and so I want to try something else. Mm-hmm. You know what? And I feel like one of one of the themes that we like come up against regularly is like try it, see how it works. It may not work forever. Figure out what works for you right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Well, exactly, and kind of reevaluate and and so yeah, on. Yeah, so, yeah. So speaking of reevaluating. It is, um, so uh, Carlton is on break from about Thanksgiving till about New Year's. We've got a nice long winter break. Um, And I have been using some of this break time to kind of be thinking about retooling, reevaluating the way that I teach intro psych, which I have not done since the before times. The last time I taught, it was January to March of 2020, just before before COVID and we went online and everything changed. and so I've kind of been like thinking about, and this kind of goes back to the conversation we had um, in a previous episode about like, what have we learned from the pandemic? How has it changed our, you know, how has it changed us professionally? What are we going to do do differently? What are we going to, you know, carry forward? Um, and one of the things that I've been thinking about and would love your input on is the way that I typically, the, the way that I did assessment um, in intro was... They would write a couple of papers, um, but the the biggest chunk of the grade was was exams, in-person, timed, closed book exams. Mm-hmm. Um, and some multiple choice, some short answer, some, you know, small essays. Um, I have the luxury of only having 35 students in my intro class, and so I can do things like have them write papers and do essay exams. I'm not, I'm not you know, strictly, like, locked into multiple choice questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
When I was teaching other classes um, remotely, I got rid of closed book exams because I didn't want to have to deal with how to proctor stuff Mm -hmm. remotely. Um, And so I just switched to having exams that you couldn't get 100% on just by Googling everything, right? That, That like they actually had to know stuff and puzzle through stuff. And and the goal was to kind of ask questions that um, knowing the course content well would uh, help them to answer the questions, obviously. But, like, they actually had to think about stuff, right? It wasn't just um, memorization or things they could look up. They actually had to figure stuff out. And the only way they would be able to figure stuff out is if they had mastered the content and then thought hard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked that switch uh, in part because it's the way that I – it's it, it, um, it is closer – it is assessing in a way that is closer to the skill that I actually want students to come out of my class with, which is like armed with some knowledge and better able to figure stuff out. And if you forget the terms and have to Google them, that's fine mm-hmm. um, because that's – you know, like that's – that's how I figure stuff out too, right? I right, always forget right. the names of stuff and you Google it, but like you understand the big picture ideas and, and, and how to figure things out. And so in some courses, like when I did that in my sensation and perception class, it worked pretty well because it's a relatively like narrow band of content. But it's trickier for intro because this is supposed to be an introduction to like a super broad array of content. And so the question is, is it possible to have like open book intro exams. (laughs) I mean, as I'm saying, is it possible? Like, yeah, of course it's possible. The question is like, how, how does, how does one go about, you know, doing that same kind of assessment? Um, but for something where like breadth is really one of the things that you want to assess, right? They have, they have a couple of papers where they delve more deeply into a particular topic, but you know, if you have a section and you're like, okay, I'm going to ask you about social psych and personality and psychopathology and intelligence, you know, it's like real broad, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, I've kind of been um, trying to, trying to figure this out. Yeah. I mean, so I um, also went to open book untimed exams um, uh, when we were kind of doing remote stuff, because for similar reasons, I wanted to be flexible and didn't want to have to, um, you know, proctor stuff and everyone has different internet connections and all that. Um, mm-hmm. And I liked the flexibility and I was, and I was very aware that students were grateful to have the flexibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but then I started feeling a little bit like I wasn't doing my job because, because part of, you know, you know, why do we do exams? You know, is it like, yes, it's kind of evaluative, but I mean, for me, I, I view it much more as just like incentivizing people to spend some time outside of class, right? So if, mm-hmm. if people come to class every time and really pay attention to my my lectures, um, hopefully they'll learn some stuff, but they're going to learn more if they go review it afterwards, like because they've seen it mm-hmm. twice, or, or if they go do something additional, like read a research article and think about how that to relate. And so I'm, I, I much more often view it as sort of incentivizing that extra time and thinking, and it's unfortunate that that's the best way we have to do it, but that's or that's the best way I've come up with doing it. So then, talking to to students um, about the last couple of semesters, I, I've kind of said, but I think you know, understandably, I think most people, um, you know, if it's an open book exam, they don't study all of their notes; they just go find the answer to the one thing I ask. 
And then, mm-hmm. and everyone says, well, yes, of course, that's what we do. Um, cause they're yeah. smart. They're using their time well. And I don't, I don't begrudge that, but then I feel like I've failed. So it's not, it's no longer evaluative if it ever was. And now it certainly is not encouraging them to actually spend time studying. So, right. yeah. So I'm, this is what I struggle with too. Um, and also, um, with, you know, 200 students in class, I, I don't have time. It's just not practical to do like a lot of essay essay stuff. So I feel mm-hmm. like I'm kind of limited to short answer and multiple choice. And I don't like the, yeah, I feel like the open, open book and untimed is not working super well for, yeah. for, yeah. for the encouragement, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I, um, when I did it in sensation and perception, I kind of pitched it as like, it's open book. Um, but uh, and, and also, sorry, mine were open book, but timed. Mm-hmm. And the timing was generous enough that they, uh, I, I didn't want them to, like, feel rushed. Um, but I also didn't want them to spend three days, right. you know, looking up every single point and doing a bunch of original research and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way that I pitched it to them was that I recommended studying for it as though it were closed book, right? Mm-hmm. Like, actually studying for it. Um, and then I gave and like an example essay question, um, that was pretty hard, right. To show like, look, you, just because it's open book, you may think you don't have to study, but like, how would you approach this question? Turns out you actually have have to have a really good handle on the material because then you are able to spend the time thinking through it and making connections rather than you know, mm-hmm. j- just like look at looking stuff up. Yep. Um, and and I was impressed when I when I did it previously that there was still like a very good distribution. Right? It was not the case that making it be open book just made it easy and everyone was able to do super well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, th- and that was kind of like my biggest concern is, oh no, if it's open book, it's just am I going to be able to like even see any spread here? Are there going to you know be any differences? Um, and there there certainly were. So. So that, you know, yeah. laid some of those yeah, yeah. concerns. That's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing I, what I've done in the past when I've done timed in-class exams um, is I've provided a list of things to study ahead of time. I, I call it mm-hmm. a concept list to people. You know, obviously people might call it a study sheet or a study guide. But just of all of the things we talk about in class or of all of the things in the readings, what, what should they study? And I always, you know, when people say, oh, how, how should I study for the exam? I'd say, well, start with, you know, for each of those terms, you know, do, do flashcards or some version of that, right? And just have like a, you'd be able to define it and get three sentence definition. If I asked you for an example of it, you could give me an example. And so I feel like that mm-hmm. makes it very manageable and also very concrete. And then, you know, and then I have to hold myself to that on the, when I make the exam, I have to make it so that all the stuff I ask is indeed something I told them about. And so that has always um, lowered the stress and at least given them some direction as opposed to just like study everything. Um, mm-hmm. I took that away uh, when I was doing untimed open book exams because no one was using them because they didn't study ahead of time. But uh-huh. I, I, I really, I, I do like your approach of like, you know, having an open book, but you, you can't do well if you have not put any time in ahead of time. I think that that makes sense. Um, and yeah, in the real world, you can just Google things. And so we don't have to totally force memorization. But then I also feel like it does you know, I do want them to have a certain working vocabulary of, of things that I, you know, you get that from, from interacting with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Julia, when you do the, when you, 
that makes sense to me for like a an essay question or a long answer, you know, type question where you have to like, yeah, maybe put some thought in and do some like synthesizing. Do you mm-hmm. do that for like for other question types? Like, do you do multiple choice questions that are designed to be more, you know, integrative and like tricky, for lack of a better word, or is yeah, it mostly for the yeah. longer stuff? Yeah. So. I don't like the word tricky because it implies that there's, you know, tricks, but let's say difficult, challenging. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I did, I did also include some multiple choice and also some like mark all that apply. So like multiple choice, but there can be multiple right answers. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but, but again, I tried to be like, if you, and actually as I was, as I was writing them, I would sometimes just be like, if I just type this question into Google, what happens? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it was. It was really hard at first to, like, figure out how to ask questions, you know, that that you can't Google that's actually testing, you know, what um, uh, um, uh, what, what you want to be evaluating. Um, and, I, and, and, and I had thought about doing these kinds of things before COVID, but then it was just like, I just, I don't know how to do that. That seems really hard. Mm-hmm. And then when forced, I was like, no, I actually can't do this. Um, and so, yeah, I was able to do it for, for multiple choice questions. And the like check all that apply questions, um, as well as as well as as as, as essays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in some of them, I'm, try- I'm trying to think of a good example. So, for some multiple choice questions, I would say things like, um, you know, someone has, you know, this kind of issue that's happening with some sensory system which um, which of the following scenarios could that explain? And then describe four scenarios of people having atypical sensory perceptions in some way, mm-hmm. um, all of which, uh, like, are true things that could really happen. Um, but you have to think about which of those true things that could really happen is likely to be the result of, you know, this, this other thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think having questions where, like, all of the response options are true statements but you just have to figure out which of those true statements, like, is the result of the question. Mm-hmm. Um, because as soon as you have things where some of the answers are demonstrably false, right, losing your sense of vision makes you get taller or mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. then, you know, as soon as there are ones that can, like, be easily eliminated, um, I, th- I think that makes it much easier to, like, process of elimination them. Sure. Whereas if they're like, no, all of these things are actually true, I have to figure out, like, what the mechanism is. That is, you know, making it true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I try to do to do things like that, or you know, here's a condition we read about in one particular sensory system. Um, do you think that that could occur in another sensory system? So they have to know about both of the sensory systems, and they have to know about the the condition that you know that that happened for one of the systems. Um, and so it's not the kind of thing you can Google. You actually have to like reason through it. Mm-hmm. I like that. Here's a, um, this is separate, but related. So for, for like in, in class participation versus not at where we are mm-hmm. in COVID. So again, this is the other thing. Like, I don't like the idea of having, I don't know. Anyway, I, I like the idea, you know, there, there's, there's a model of having a in class exam that everyone does, whether it's open or closed book at the same time. And I kind mm-hmm. of do like that just for, you know, preventing people talking about stuff if there are things that are supposed to not be worked on ahead of time. I like mm-hmm. kind of, you know, controlling when people get to see the questions and so on. Um, but then also with 
COVID-y stuff, I don't want people to feel like they have to come to class if they're not feeling well, right? So right. In, in the past, I've I've been probably more on on the side of no, you. I mean, obviously, if, if someone is like very sick, I'm not going to be a jerk about it. But like, you know, you should you have to come take the exam when it's given, and you can't just um, you know take it take a makeup just because because I you know I, I can't I can't handle that. So. Now with COVID, I'm like, well, if I do go to in-class evaluation, whether it's open book or not, then how do I handle like also being flexible, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, for COVID, but also I understand people other also have other stuff come up. So I feel like I had a really good, I had like honed my non-COVID flexibility and I felt really good about it. And now I'm mm-hmm. just like, I don't even know what to do. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Do you, how do you handle this? Yeah. So what I did, um, what I did for sensation and perception, I think I'll do again for intro, is say, you know, you have an hour and a half, uh, is not have exams be in class. Um, so it's, you know, take it at home when it works for you um, and set it up such that you have 90 minutes to do the exam and you can do that anytime on Thursday or Friday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you happen to do it in the middle of the night, I might not respond to your questions in a timely fashion. So you might want to do it during the day, but like you can do it anytime. And so mm-hmm. that way, if they're like, I feel really punky this morning, I'll do it tomorrow or something. They they have that option, but it still is, you know, the same like fixed amount of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, you're going to run into people who are like, well, I had a paper on Thursday and so I plan to take it on Friday, but then I got sick and can I do it on Saturday instead or something? Um, but once it is already not at a fixed time, it feels like less of a big deal to allow sure. it to be at an even later not fixed time, you know? Sure. Um, and if it's fully online, y- y- it's just a couple of clicks to set it up for them to be able to take it at a different time, mm-hmm. which is much nicer than being like, okay, I got to like where you right. be and who's going to proctor. Right. And exactly. All these things are related. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and having that big window also is nice because if someone has a thing that makes it hard for them to take it at a particular time, I would rather just let them make that decision and figure that out for themselves rather than having to set it up with them. Not because I'm cruel and heartless and don't want to talk to them, um, but because I know that students really vary in their level of comfort talking to professors. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that to be like, you know, a, a, a roadblock. Right. Um, so I want the, the same opportunities to be there for for everybody without them having to, you know, have the nerve to ask for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and so it seems really tricky to figure out how to do this for a class that's really emphasizing breadth. Um, but hearing myself talk about it, I'm like, well, I thought it was really tricky. I thought it would have been really tricky when I was doing it for S&P too. And when forced, I found a way to make it work. And so maybe I can do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is is just um, as you've described, sort of like thinking about what you want them to to learn, or mm-hmm. what, what, what what you want them to take away from it, and then that might be different. That might be a different thing in in a more of a broad class versus a focused class. But if you identify that thing, then kind of mm-hmm. using the same principles to you know to to come up with questions, I think was would would still work. Yeah, and yeah. I guess the other thing too is like. I, I don't know about you. I always feel like I have to have everything all figured out and do it like the right way the first time. And not that I want to like experiment on my, on my students, but like, anyway, if, if I have a you know particular kind of exam with a per- certain kind of questions, well, maybe I can't redo the entire class at every exam on every question this semester, but maybe I do mm-hmm. like 25% of them. And I'm like, Ooh, I like how these work. Or like, 
I try it and like everyone gets those wrong. I think, oh, I kind of messed up on those, right? So it's, it's be willing mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. experiment a little bit and maybe, you know, try it out and see see how it goes. It doesn't have to be yeah. the all or none. Yep, yep. Yeah, and I think also just being, you know, open and direct with students about like, hey, we're trying something different and mm-hmm. here are the reasons that I'm trying it and please give me your feedback about how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe they'll hate it and ask for in-person, timed, multiple choice, closed book. And <laughs> right. I'll yeah. oblige them for the I second exam. But yeah. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> right. Well, these are good um, good things to think about. And I think uh, I think my assignment is going to be doing some, <laughs> trying some things out and in a few episodes coming back for some follow-up. Oh, good idea. Yeah. Now, when does your... Um... When does your term start in January? Uh, the 5th. Okay, great. So I don't start till like the end of January. So you can like try all this out in the first couple of weeks and then tell me what to do. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> How's that? Great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the input. Great to talk with you, Jonathan. And thanks everybody for listening. Talk to you next time. All right. See you later. Well, thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again uh, sooner than it. (laughs) Nope, 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 (laughs) nope. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you have a happy. What am I doing? I like can't even. What am I? Just just end it, Strand. Just drop your mic. (laughs) It's been too long since we've done this. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay.